Welcome to CapeCast Audio 20. This is the 20-minute podcast from the city of Cape Coral, Florida. It's our weekly podcast, and I'm Connie Barron. I'm the city's public information director, and I host this program each week. My guest today is Frank Cassidy, our code compliance manager. Frank, welcome to the program. Hi, good afternoon. Thanks for having me. We're going to talk about the area of responsibility that is in your backyard there, which is code enforcement. No pun on the backyard, but <laughs> I guess there's a lot of that backyard complaints. <laughs> but before we talk about code compliance, let's talk about what brought you here to Cape Coral. Sure. Well, they, actually, World Almanac brought me here to the city of Cape Coral. After retiring from uh, law enforcement uh, 23 years ago, southeast Los Angeles, California, uh, my father was looking for a spot to retire, and we found Cape Coral. And uh, we haven't regretted the move uh, since. But uh, while in this area, I've been involved with uh, code enforcement. So I've been in code enforcement for 22 years. And bringing that experience here to the city of Cape Coral at a time that was very tough uh, in the city of Cape Coral because of the economy and the foreclosures, uh, I've been here now six years working on programs to to serve the community and try to preserve uh, the best we can, the gains that we have made in the city, and to try to help position the city uh, for, on the tip of the recovery, and it seems to have been working. So we're pretty proud of what we've done here in the city of Cape Coral, and I look forward to um, having this discussion today. I know you've got a very extensive background in the in code compliance with uh, being across the river at, as well as here in Cape Coral. Maybe a little-known fact for our listeners out there is you also gave a shot at uh, public office at one time. Uh, yes, I did. Yes, way way back in another life. <laughs> <laughs> I believe you you thought about running for sheriff and. Uh, yeah, we put our hats in the ring there back in two thousand. Uh, <laughs> uh, just to, for the experience, an experience of which I don't regret. I, I think. Uh, I, I learned an awful lot from it, and uh, I enjoyed it. Well, let's talk about Cape Coral and Cape Coral's code compliance uh, efforts here. Uh, your division is called Code Compliance, but you do enforce codes. Explain that difference to the uh, listeners. Sure. Uh, the best I can here. The uh, Code Compliance and Code Enforcement is used interchangeably in a lot of agencies, jurisdictions across the state. We are called Code Compliance um, that is because the objective of our program here is voluntary compliance. That's the objective of it statewide. However, we are an enforcement agency, which means that we hold what they call police powers. That's the ability to cite people. We take action on people. We go to court. We present cases. And then we take action on folks, uh, even though we try very hard not to. Uh, there are fines involved and there's penalties involved. So the enforcement aspects of that gives us the legal right to take action on folks to try to encourage them to uh, comply with ordinances. So our goal is compliance. Um, a lot of people say that the compliance is a softer word than enforcement, uh, but I think what code compliance does is that reiterates our overall objective, and that is compliance. However, our function is enforcement. We enforce the codes, ordinance, and state statutes on a local level. I don't know if there's another division in city government that is as visible other than maybe the police and, and fire. And then we're talking about, once again, enforcement and, and public service and responding to, to complaints or calls. But with code compliance, your officers probably make more public contact and under not necessarily the greatest circumstances than any other division in the city. Yes. Uh, people don't understand the scope of, of our responsibilities, nor do they understand the scope of our influence in a community. 
Uh, we affect crime rates. We, we affect property values. We affect quality of life, and we try to preserve the quality of life and, and the economic conditions. So we are very high visible, and we're high contact because if you're going to have a goal of compliance, that means we have to talk to people. That means face-to-face and come in contact with them and work through the system. There's an old line in, in uh, code enforcement that uh, when somebody calls the fire department, 100% of the people love to see them. When they call the police department, 50% of the people are, are glad to see them. When code enforcement, nobody's happy to see them. Even the people who call us for help will deny calling us for help. So it, it's, it's, the, it's the overall job that we do. We're dealing with people's property rights and, their, and what things are happening on their private property, which is a very contentious uh, environment. Nobody likes to be told what to do on their property, uh, but yet that's what we do. Code enforcement also doesn't get recognized for the things that you don't see. Uh, we're in a unique business of trying to put ourselves out of business. That means we want to drive around town and not see any violations. When people drive around town and they don't see any violations, we don't get the credit for it because they don't see it. But it's that one darn violation on that block that doesn't seem to be moving anywhere uh, that will be the sticking point for code enforcement. And that's where a lot of the um, misinformation or misunderstanding of what we do or what our limitations are because why why doesn't that boat just move? Why why can't we just take care of that thing? Because we have to follow the processes. So it's a very high contact, a very high visible job, and it's and it's far reaching because we deal with everything from permits to zoning to land use to private properties uh, to right of ways to streets. Uh, we're the enforcement arm for everything else that the city does. And the reason that cities have codes and ordinances is for quality of life. Exactly. Yes, it is to preserve the quality of life. It's a health, safety, and welfare issue. Uh, it does affect crime rates. It does affect property values. That's why it, it, there's a there's a huge uh, umbrella here that that involves uh, code enforcement and. I, I think that uh, the value of code enforcement has really come to the forefront as we work through the foreclosure issues. Uh, we went through a huge number of foreclosures, uh, but yet if you drive around the city, it's difficult to tell how much we've suffered from that as compared to other um, jurisdictions throughout the nation that have done that. And one reason why we've done that, and yes, I'm patting myself on the back here a little bit, <laughs> is because of the effective program that we have placed in here in the city. And that's not my doing. That That's the team of code enforcement that we have here that has been working very hard at doing exactly what you just said, preserving those property values, preserving that quality of life, and working real hard to fight blight. And when you talk about your team of code officers, how many code compliance officers do you have and then how many calls or complaints do you receive? Okay, well, let's we'll hit the staff first. We got a total staff of thirty-five. That includes everybody. We do contractor licensing. We have a horticultural inspector on board. That includes the uh, support staff as well. We have twenty-one field officers and three supervisors. Uh, we also have a code enforcement officer that handles uh, unlicensed contracting, and then uh, we have a code enforcement officer that's specifically assigned to the CRA. Uh, our zones, they're broken out into teams and zones, north, central, and south, uh, and then they're given assigned uh, zones, which average about five square miles uh, an officer. Our complaints are, it's been consistent the last three years, new complaints per year is over 34,000 new That's complaints. A lot. Yes, it is. Um, by all standards in the state, we, we top the state in that one. Uh, that breaks down to about 3,000 a month. Uh, and that is a huge caseload. 
That's new cases. You got to remember that that doesn't include the cases that are already in process that they're working on that require rechecks or revisits. Uh, that is a huge caseload. Well, you can look at it one of two ways. You can look at it as either we got a lot of code violations here in the city or we got a lot of people who complain about code violations here in the city. Well, it's funny you should bring that up because it's we do work on a 70% proactive rate. And so uh, it's our philosophy that if we're going to take care of as many violations as we can before we get a complaint on it, it because we shouldn't be waiting for the complaints. So it is a, a lot of, of violations or new cases New cases don't represent actual violations, but they're calls for service like everything else. Some are not any violations, and some are handled within minutes. Some take months, uh, if not years, to try to resolve. So there's an awful lot of factors in there. When you get a call in, how long does it take before code compliance usually responds to that complaint? We prioritize calls, so if it's a, a job in progress, that involves uh, unlicensed contracting or it's crime-related or watering or something of that effect, we'll get out there within 20 minutes. Uh, the standard call calls take about 72 hours on the priority list, and they take less than that. Uh, but we factor in um, leave time into that, the schedules as well. So any call that comes in that is a standard call for service will take no more than 72 hours for us to respond. What are some of the more common complaints that code compliance hears? Currently, we're still going through the abandoned houses, uh, so that that's that tops the list. We're we're still monitoring those issues, uh, but we're also starting to see a lot more of transient violations, or what we call them, because it's another product of the economy. These are your uh, commercial vehicles. These are storage on vacant lot complaints, uh, and then we have watering because we're in the dry season. And our unlicensed contracting complaints of work being done without permits have, have also been uh, in the top 10 here for the last year and a half. One of the things that you mentioned that we have as far as the hammer uh, that we can put on, on some of these uh, violators are fines. We don't, um, we don't collect all the fines that are owed to us. Why is that not as big of an issue as some people might think? Because we will hear uh, some residents that will come up and say, oh, well, look, we've got $6 million in outstanding fines out there. Why isn't the city going out and collecting those? Because they could help with our budget. Well, yes, and you're hitting on something that's always been uh, a sore spot with me because it's not it's not real money for any other lack of trying to explain this. It, it, it may be a running lean. Part of the challenge with code enforcement is always trying to find a, um, a, a happy medium in enforcement, reasonableness, and then effectiveness. Uh, liens are not the answer. That is one mechanism that we have in code enforcement to try to motivate somebody into compliance. That's what we are. We're, we're motivators. But the problem with liens is they're very difficult to collect on. Code enforcement liens do not have superiority on anything. And if there's a lien running on a property, that doesn't necessarily mean that we took care of the problem. The goal is to take care of the problem. It doesn't take very long. We have what they call super liens in the city of Cape Coral, which means that we can find up to $1,000 a day. And I, I'll ask anybody if they think that a $1,000 a day fine for a junk car in the yard is that reasonable, and I think I know what the response is going to be. Right. So we have to be careful in juggling reasonableness with, with, with what's happening. So even though it's nice to say that we have these fines and liens running on properties, that doesn't mean that we're getting compliance. Our goal is compliance. Uh, so then what we have to do is try to figure out how do you, how do you cost-effectively try to go out and collect on these liens. 
And there are several factors that get in the way of code enforcement to collecting liens, foreclosures. There are several, there are several things that, that block us from uh, foreclosing on those liens just with a foreclosure. If they're homesteaded properties, if they're, uh, they're properties that are going through some other kind of bankruptcy or legal, legal process. So it's not as easy as, oh, uh, Miss Barron, I see you have a lien. Give me the money. And if you don't, we're going to take some action on you. So there's all kinds of legal effects uh, that get in the way and interfere with collecting that lien. So in order to try to collect the lien, sometimes we're being counterproductive. Right. Uh, but what we do have is we have other other things at our disposal to try to take care of them. And that's what we try to cite them in the county court, try to get some uh, judges to try to help us with some court orders to get properties cleaned up. Or we'll go in and clean them up ourselves, and then we'll try to collect those hard costs. That's what the city actually co- spent to clean up that property. So liens are not the answer. Uh, they're very difficult to collect. It, it's not a real figure when you're looking at property values versus the amount of liens. And then we also have to be concerned with the reasonableness of, of the amount of the lien. And that brings me to my next question because uh, Code Compliance took some steps last year to change and, and cap the amount of liens and fines. What's, what is the cap and why did Code Compliance put that cap in place? It's all about trying to be reasonable and try to inspire compliance. What happens after a while is if the liens get out of hand and somebody can't afford the initial penalties or fines, there's a tendency there to let the violation exist because they know they can't afford the initial lien, so why even bother? Why try? Uh, The other side of the coin is uh, if we're going to be reasonable, if we're going to use common sense, then we have to try to make the liens and fines equate to the violation, junk car. Uh, So what we did is we capped the liens. For a standard residential lien, they're being capped at $2,500. Now, that's also based upon the success that we've had with collections of liens over the last couple of years. That seems to be in the public and in the the violators, for any other lack of terms, uh, willingness to to pay has been reasonable to them. Uh, We've been getting fines paid at that level. So we've instituted those as caps. And what that does is that forces us to recognize that the violation may still be existing there. The liens cap, we've done what we can there. Then it's our responsibility to find an alternative method to try to get that property into compliance and not just sit there and say, well, there's a lien running. Our job's not done until that property is brought into compliance. You get more than 30,000 complaints each year. Do you find that you have at least some uh, residents out there that are what you might consider your regular callers? Yes. Well, you, sure you do. A- a- every community has one. And and that has to do with there, – there's, uh, there's a misperception out there that uh, some things are violations when they're not. Uh, the best understanding I have for code enforcement is these are minimum requirements. These are minimum standards. And we don't regulate ugly. So if something is ugly to someone, they, they may think – that it's a code violation when, in fact, it's not. We have to be very careful that laws and rules are passed that are enforceable first, but they're also not subjective. They have to they have to have criteria and meet minimum criteria, so that takes the subjectivity out of it and allows for an enforceable measure. Uh, for example, a car. Okay, it doesn't matter if the car is old and rusted out or and the tires are dirty and it's all muddied. Okay, what matters is that it's operable and it's properly licensed and can be driven on the road. So... What we have is we have some people that are out there that don't like looking at things, uh, but that's not a violation. Uh, We also have some neighborhood disputes that go on that we get in the middle of, and those are very difficult to try to to manage. Um, 
they're, they're just a lot, an awful lot of conflict comes into these, uh, and, uh, and we're placed into some positions that don't have violations. We understand there's issues, but there's nothing we can do about it. So that tends to breed people who call us a, a lot, who say we're not doing something, we're not doing anything, uh, when in fact they're right. It's because we don't have anything that we can do to help. You might get the Hatfield and McCoy type yes. uh, feud going on there. Oh, a- absolutely, uh, which is unfortunate because uh, there's an awful lot of uh, instances where we have neighbors calling on neighbors and, and uh, uh, you know, creating uh, problems where there might not be problems, and, and that's unfortunate. So we understand that. That's part of the job. Uh, but we also have to be very careful that we're not being used as a, or misused, I should say, as a tool to try to get back to somebody. We were talking about uh, how, how code compliance operates. It's important to let our listeners out there know how the process works because just because you make a call doesn't mean that something's going to happen the next day. Correct. So explain that in the last couple of minutes that we have here. Explain how the process works. Okay, I'll do my best. Uh, that's actually a, a four-hour course in most universities, so I'll do my best. It's a legal process that's governed by state statute and the Constitution. So we have to be very careful on that process. If somebody wants to, to not comply immediately, then we're required to give them notice. That notice requires due process, which requires time and a reasonable amount of time to correct the violation. Then we have to give them an opportunity to be heard at a hearing. Uh, that process, before any fines can be done, before we could go on the property and start taking any action, we have to make sure that we meet that criteria and we go through that process. That process can take upwards of 35 to 90 days sometimes before you can get those decisions heard by a court or a special magistrate. In essence, that's that's the short version of it. Uh, we are required to notice provide due process, and then have hearings before we take action. That means that we're not allowed, and it's not legal for us, just to go on somebody's property and start removing stuff. Uh, It also means that when we write a citation to somebody, they still have the ability to argue that before a judge because we do not assess the fines. The fines are assessed by the court of law or a special magistrate, and there's a process involved with that. So although we understand the frustrations of people, they, they see something out there for four months or whatever, the assumption is that we're not doing anything. They have to understand that we have a legal process. And real quick, once the, the property owner has gained compliance, the clock stops and it, it, it's a clean slate and it starts all over again. That is correct. And that's governed by state law. Uh, well, Frank, I'm probably going to have to have you back to talk about some other things too, especially as we move into the um, the dry season and it continues to get if it gets any drier and we see some more um, uh, watering restrictions come in. Because I'd like to talk to you about the watering schedule, so we might have to do that here in the next few weeks. That sounds great. I, any chance we get, because it's about compliance, but it's compliance through education, and I appreciate that. Well, I want to thank Frank for joining me today here on Cape Cast Audio Twenty. We'll have him back, and we'll be talking about code compliance a little bit more and about even watering violations. So if you have a question about code violations, you can call Frank's office at 574-0613. Have a good week. I'll talk to you next time on Cape Cast.